Welcome to episode number three of Metascam. We are a podcast dissecting scams one fraudster at a time. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of Metascam. We break down scammers' approaches, tricks, misdirections, and other tools they use, and we present you with our direct analysis. This is Andy. And this is Peter. Coming up on episode number three of Metascam, we have stories from the pen. Then we will talk about warning signs for job offer scams, and we will finalize with a breakdown of call me for information scam. The information presented in this show is based on personal opinion and should be taken as such. Consult your personal attorney before making any financial decision. Hey, real quick, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, it's pretty easy to do. You can follow us on Twitter, that is at MetascamShow, or you can send us an email, hello at MetascamShow. Dot com. So, Peter, we're going to rely a lot today on some personal experiences you have with penetration testing and specifically some stories from that and, and how it actually all works. So go ahead and enlighten us a bit on how exactly penetration testing works. Okay, Andy, it's a very interesting yet somewhat complex process whether we're talking about someone trying to break into the databases of their targets or just trying to intrude inside of the company to obtain some other objective. And one of the things that they're going to be looking at is what different types of social engineering ploys might work. And I think it's good for me to explain a little bit, give you a little bit about a background of how a social engineer would approach this. They're first going to try to obtain as much information as they can on a potential target. And they might look at a number of different targets. And what it comes down to is which target might present the most vulnerabilities that can be exploited at the same time. Is there something that that target has that the social engineer wants to obtain? So when we look at targets, we might say, is it a soft target or is it a hard target? A soft target meaning potentially with a lot of vulnerabilities, easy to gain access to exploit and to meet the objectives or a hard target might be, wow, this one is going to be a hard nut to crack. Maybe we should move on to a soft target. So we would break this down, first of all, in a few different phases. Phase one would be the passive collection of information on the company or its employees. When I say passive, I mean there's no, you're not having direct contact with the company or the employees. You're using different tools, resources that are out there that where you can collect this information. And today, the internet offers a treasure trove of that, of that type of information. If we're looking at a company, one of the first places we would start as a social engineer would be the company's website. Almost every single company today has a website. And if you have a company that doesn't have a website, people say, well, you know, what kind of company is this? So, <laughs> right. and think about it. And you think about it. If you're looking at a website, a basic website will have what, what types of categories of information? Well, let's see. We're going to have a, a home button, a contact us button, an about us button, uh, maybe some job listings, 
and uh, maps and how to get a hold of them, I think. And Absolutely. The About Us will tell a little bit about the history of the company, maybe a little background about the founders, talk about the products and services. It might talk about the culture of the company. Uh, there will also be a, a page for contact information. Sometimes it will break down the different departments and who are the key officials in the company to include their bios, to include their pictures. And, and that is a tremendous amount of useful information for a social engineer. And then after after visiting the company's web page, you mentioned actually there might be job postings. Yes, some of the web uh, company web pages will have job postings or they may post jobs on Indeed.com, Monster.com. Any case, those job postings can be very, very useful for a social engineer because it will tell the social engineer what types of positions are being are opening, maybe new, maybe new types of projects, new offices that are being opening, new types of services that are being uh, open for the first time or being replaced. What are the qualifications of the person that they're looking to hire? And even more importantly, what type of technical qualifications this person may need to have. So if we, we can learn about through uh, the technical qualifications that are listed, we can learn a lot about this particular IT system that a company will have. So that's all very, very useful information. Then if the company is a public company, uh, it will be required to file a number of different reports with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Those reports will provide a lot of useful operational information regarding the company's past and its current current uh, efforts. A good place also, not many people wouldn't think about this, but Google Earth. Before a social engineer, remember we're in the collection phase here. Eventually the social engineer is going to use this to go into active collection where they might even try to go into the offices of the target. So if we start with Google Earth, we can look at what does the actual office look like from uh, the Google cameras or even satellite imagery. What do those offices look like? Uh, are there CCTV cameras around the outside? Are there guards? Remember, we're looking at not just here in the United States, overseas. There might be locations where they have uh, physical guards, armed guards, uh, who are around the perimeter. Is there What kind of access is, is it to get uh, from the street into the building? Uh, and what are the different locations? What are what's around the general vicinity of that office space? Are there restaurants? Are there supply stores? And we'll talk a little bit later about how that's useful. But if I learn about what is around in that vicinity of that office, I can later on exploit that information. Just general Google searches. Uh, we're so used today to get on Google and doing a search, but most of us will only look at the first page or two pages of entries. When, if we're talking about a medium to large size company, there's going to be hundreds potentially hundreds of pages of entries there. So it's going to be important to, to fine-tune the search where you can actually look for some very specific information may, that may be online that most people will be able to find if they're only going through the first couple of pages. Uh, there are times when if I'm looking for a search, uh, doing a search on a company, I might look for uh, documentation that the company has on. It might be employee manuals. It might be contracts. There might even be files that are marked confidential that are, are placed online. Someone at some point put this file online and even the company's security officer might not be aware that it's there. Then there's other websites that can be very useful that provide employee feedback on the company. One that comes to my mind is Glassdoor. 
I, I would go to Glassdoor and get a feel for what are employees saying about this company, their employer. Might it be really good? This is a fantastic company to work for. Uh, the morale is very high. Or this company sucks. This company treats us very badly. Long hours, poor wages, management doesn't know anything. This type of information can be very useful for a social engineer, if later on they might want to manipulate one or more of the employees who work there, the more they learn about the inner dynamics of the company, uh, the more the more benefit comes to them. Uh, other sites, Foursquare. Think of Foursquare as sort of like the information that we might be able to get on somebody from Facebook. People have all kinds of pictures. Compared to Facebook, where they might put pictures of their friends, their vacations, pictures from their home, Foursquare Many times people will post pictures up from their work site. So if they're posting pictures from the work site, it might be a picture of their office, picture of their cubicles. And, and their cubicles can be very interesting because I can take a look at, okay, what kind of monitor are they using? What kind of CPU are they using? What kind of keyboard are they using? And these are all very useful insight. What If the browsers, if the page is on, uh, on the terminal, what browser are they using? What kind of other applications might they have loaded on their, to their computer? And believe it or not, Sometimes those sticky little yellow sticky notes are found, and what do some people put on those? Things that they don't want to forget, like passwords and usernames. You might think, yeah, 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 we do find that. That, unfortunately, is way too common. Uh, there might be other pictures of... Uh, facilities in the office building, like the cafeteria, different vendors who are there. Perhaps there's even, uh, if they're in a conference room, maybe there is a, a diagram there uh, that provides the password for you to log in into the Wi-Fi. There's a lot of different information that can be obtained from looking at Foursquare where pictures might be, be uploaded. Other media searches, uh, a, a company typically will have uh, other information that's posted about them uh, via social media, corporate social media. A lot of companies will have, in addition to their, their own website, they will use Twitter. A lot of them will have a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page. All of these sites provide a lot of useful information. And then there's blogs. Uh, blogs are becoming more and more useful for a social engineer because it will provide information uh, that someone, some experience or some opinion that someone has about a company or a company representatives will be put in that blog. And typically after that, there may be a comment section where people get on there and say, yeah, I had that same experience. Or this is additional information, different, additional tidbits that can provide great information for that. Then uh, going on to not just the company, but maybe even more importantly, the employees of the company. Think about the sites where you might find information about the employees. One that comes to my mind immediately that's very useful is LinkedIn. We talked about LinkedIn, I think, in the previous show. LinkedIn, I mean, LinkedIn provides a tremendous amount of information about a prof person's professional background, their curriculum, you know, their resume of where they've been in the past, what kinds of responsibilities have they had in the past, where are they now, how long have they been there, what are their responsibilities within that company. Uh, it might also include on that page, if people fill, fill out all the different uh, different places, it might include other types of interests, influencers, different groups that they're involved in. And that's going to give you an idea of what makes that person tick from a professional standpoint. What do they like? Facebook even provides a section there of like other, uh, if you're involved in volunteer work and think about it, 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 there are people that get involved in volunteer work and there's a lot of different types of volunteer projects 
that are out there and you can get a feel with what really someone gravitates towards. And once again, if we talk about vulner motivations and vulnerabilities, the more information we can collect on an individual, the more useful that's going to be later if a social engineer c actually contacts that individual to know what buttons to push and how to, how to mot motivate them or manipulate them. So in addition to uh, LinkedIn, there's, uh, of course, a lot of other uh, social media sites for individuals to include YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, etc. My company conducts a lot of in investigations for our clients, and that will include we conduct due diligence on companies. We will look at all this information that I previously mentioned, and we will also look at, at uh, one or more of uh, individuals or employees who work for them, and that will include looking at their social media sites. No investigation is complete without that information. It is so crucial, and that's what the same information that a social engineer would naturally latch onto. Now, there's an, a lot of additional information, at least what's available here in the United States from public records on individuals and other, we may have some some uh, listeners from uh, overseas to this podcast, and I know in other countries that information is much more difficult to obtain because of privacy rules, because of just the database, incomplete databases, electronic databases, uh, in in some other countries. But here in the United States, all this information goes into databases, and a lot of it is available. Uh, to the public, as long as you know how to search for it or if you subscribe to a particular database, information is very easy to obtain. So that's the type of information from a passive collection that a social engineer would try to obtain. Because the more information they obtain, the better, better prepared they will be to go into phase two, which is active collection. If we are conducting active collection, first of all, via employees, the social engineer is going to have to develop a pretext, uh, a, a way for them to interact with the employees. What's going to be the pretext or storyline that they're going to have when they contact a particular employee of that firm? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the, in the next few minutes. Uh, so if we're going to develop a pretext, where might I actually be able to meet employees of a company? And there's a lot of different, different ways. If we look for avenues to meet them outside of the actual office building. Those could be at trade shows, conferences, other, tr other professional events. I recently came back from a major conference, actually a, 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 a Association of Certified Fraud Examiners in Nashville. And just like any conference, those are prepared well in advance. Guest speakers are invited. If you get online, anybody can see who are the guest speakers for a particular conference. And if a social engineer wants to target a specific company where one of those speakers comes from, think about it. They already know where he's going to be or she's going to be. They have the bio of that individual. They know what the individual is going to be speaking about. They work their way into the conference. They, at some point, at these type of conferences, everybody is talking to everybody, and it's so easy to be able to walk up to a presenter at that conference, congratulate them on a, what an outstanding presentation, and engage them in a conversation. They're very open. And even if they're not a presenter, there's so many other people there. They have name tags on uh, from their companies. There's so many different opportunities for networking. Uh, so those are great venues for social engineers to try to meet, uh, try to specifically target individuals who they know are going to be at these events. Uh, there's also what we call local watering holes. Do you remember what I referred to earlier about how we could use Google Earth to find out what are the establishments in the vicinity of that office building? 
when we go to work, if we're at work for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, we probably are not complete prisoners to the building. We might want to walk out. People typically take a break. They maybe have lunch. They go out to, to, to grab some lunch or they go out to conduct a few errands. So where are the establishments in, within a walking distance of that office where employees might, might go to or might frequent? It could be restaurants where they go to. It could be bars for happy hour after work. It could be a local office supply store that's located near that building where they're going to have people probably going out to pick up uh, supplies. Could be coffee shops, could be a dry cleaner, any of these places where a social engineer, if they have time and patience, would frequent and they would eventually run into somebody from that office and be able to carry on a very casual, not a learning conversation. There's also third parties. If I know that you are a contact of somebody who works in that target entity, I might try to establish contact with you first. And it could be you as a friend of that person. It could be a spouse. It could be a, a, a sibling or, or another family member. Those are ways to just happen to run into somebody, let's say, who is a target. Let's say if we want to be a little bit more direct, we can actually direct contact that individual via email, via telephone, where it, we have to, once again, have a little bit of background information of that individual, and probably like something like, like LinkedIn. We will learn about their position, uh, how long they've been there, what are their responsibilities. And we could send in an email or make a phone call into them. Now, have you ever heard of spoofing the call, Andy? Have you heard about spoofing services and how they work? You're referring to the ones that uh, put up a false caller ID, or and then so now the person you're, who is you're calling doesn't know exactly who's calling them. They just see, or they'll see a familiar number mm -hmm. and they'll answer that phone because they expect it to be one of their maybe uh, uh, distributors or someone who provides a vendor that provides service to them or even an internal number. And they pick up the phone thinking, okay, that's a, that's a call that I'm expecting or that's a number I recognize. And they pick up the phone and go, hey, this is Andy. Mm -hmm. And they've answered the phone. Absolutely. So a social engineer who's trying to, to, uh, to conduct this activity is not going to use their real name, right? And they want to be able to, they might have a number of different employees to actually attack a company, and they might have a number of different personalities or, or personas, okay? So spoofing allows a social engineer to create whatever a name or identity they want to use, and without having direct face-to-face -face contact, the target does not get a physical description of them because all they get is uh, this contact via email or, or phone call. And you're right, the, uh, what the, if we use a spoof card, is one of several different types of services, but it's an application. Uh, anybody can gain access to it, and it, it's actually, you, you, can, you can buy a subscription uh, for this or even get a fuel trial attempts. And it's very easy. You can even use it to create a, a prank on somebody if you want to. You can, when you log into the service, you can pick whatever phone number you want to mimic. Let's say, Andy, that I wanted to uh, make it look like this phone call was coming from your father. All right. And I could, if I knew your father's telephone number, I could encode your father's telephone number and then call you on this service, and when you see the caller ID, it's going to show as your father's phone number, but it's not your father calling. It's myself. We actually had a, a client who was really concerned at one time that 
someone was maybe in her house calling her cell phone at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. And I don't have proof of this, but I speculate that it was probably somebody who was calling from outside the house, but was using her landline number, using its spoof to call in and to make it seem like he was inside the house to really to really freak her out. So in other words, if you are working for a company, let's say the Target is a company here in Orlando, and they all have satellite offices on other parts of the country, if I want to pose as a fellow employee, let's say they have an office in San Francisco, I will use, as, a, as if I'm trying to use a service, I would use a phone number from the San Francisco office of this company, call into the Orlando office, and they're going to think that, oh, this is a call from our office in San Francisco. And my ploy is, I'm working for the office in San Francisco as an employee. And who... It, it, once we find, once we believe that this call is coming in from our company, we're most likely to trust that person on the other end, right? They're asking for our help. They're asking for our, our assistance, especially if it's a new employee. If we believe it's a new employee, we, you know, we would love to help a new employee. We 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 know what it's like when this, we start a new job with a new company. Sometimes it's a bit overwhelming uh, to understand the the structure, the procedures, and some. And so we all been through that. And if we believe it's a fellow employee, a new employee calling asking us for help, it it can be a great can be a great ploy for a social engineer to try to latch on to that. So that's one uh, we can spoof phone calls, we can spoof emails to individuals and uh, try to get the target on the other end to provide information that we may, we may be wanting to, them to provide. So it could be as a fellow employee, it could be as a vendor or a partner company that's asking information. And once again, we want to be helpful and we don't want to be considered, oh, you're the, you were the unhelpful person in your company. <laughs> no, not, you want to you be helpful within, you know, within uh, reason, right? If it sounds like a, it, it's a, it's a, a request that makes sense, and if it's and if you believe it's coming from someone who has a legitimate reason to be asking for it, why not help them? Okay, there's some other ploys that a social engineer can work. One of them is uh, feigning to be, acting to be as a a headhunter. A headhunter. The term uh, in, in the industry is well known, but for those who are not familiar, the headhunter is someone who is calling or contacting you. Uh, with an, with potential opportunity, they're hired by a firm to look for individuals who may be qualified to cover a position in a specific position within their client's firm. All right, and they have, and, and so the industry is just full of, of headhunters who will be who will be looking through different types of databases, Monster.com, for example, all their employment databases, and and one place they will look at particularly is LinkedIn. Very very common. Even my daughter has gotten a couple positions. Uh, via her LinkedIn page that her name has come up, the headhunter will call her and they'll start the interview process. So think about how this could be used by a social engineer. They've identified a few interesting employees of target company on LinkedIn. They call them, okay, posing as a, a, as a recruiter, as a headhunter, saying that your profile really, your background is really impressive, and it looks like it fits very, very well this particular position that one of my clients is looking to fill. If you do, if you are interested, we, if we can talk about a little bit about more about your background, I'd be happy to interview you. We can do this via phone initially, or we can even get together for a coffee. Now, most people, even if they are more or less content in their position and not thinking at all about a change, most people though will, however, will entertain. 
you know, what is this, the curiosity, what is this opportunity about? What is it paying, you know? So it's a great opportunity for a social engineer to gain considerable information, not only on this individual, but information regarding the target company. Remember, if we're going after that company, employees who work there, current as well as even past employees can provide us considerable information regarding how that company is, is organized, who is who within that company, uh, different procedural things that are done, even more information about their IT systems. Uh, inf additional information maybe that's not, that was not available via the first passive uh, collecting phase. Other different types of ploys that can be used uh, might, might be more of the areas of trying to, oh, I'm thinking of one right now. Remember the movie Catch Me If You Can, Andy? Yeah, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio yes. and Tom Hanks, one of my favorite yeah. movies. And Leonardo was playing Frank Abagnale, one, yes. of, the, one of the most uh, interesting scammers of all time. And over the course of his career as a scam artist, he, had, he took on like four different uh, personas, right? Uh, one was a pilot for Pan Am. One was a college, university professor. One was a doctor in a major hospital. And finally, I think he, he actually uh, became an attorney, worked for a law firm. Now, let's start with the first. I want to focus on the first one because he was, a, he was like a kid when he first looked at Pan Am and trying to impersonate a Pan Am pilot. And one of the things that he utilized initially to collect information on Pan Am via this direct contact with an employee was in person, making believe that he was conducting a research paper for his, his, his a project he had in high school. And uh, so he basically, he, he was young. He could feign being a, a high school student. He contacted Pan Am saying, I, you know, I'm working on this project. And can I, is there someone there in Pan Am who I could speak to regarding uh, what is the life of a pilot like? Okay, and they welcomed, you know, they gave him an appointment and walked in and they, this guy was just so happy to be able to talk to a young guy who was maybe interested in, in, a, in a career as a pilot one day. And so he gained considerable information. So the ploy being posing as someone who's conducting research, it could be a high school student or it could be a university student. So if I, if I see on your profile, if you're a target company, I see you went to uh, whatever university and I could, and I could call you and and make believe that, hey, I'm, I'm currently studying at that university, and I saw that you actually went there, and, and I am pursuing a degree in an area that is in your same competency. Is it okay? Can I ask you a few questions? Can you help me out? You're just like blown away. Of course. First of all, we want to help people that are, are, are conducting, uh, you know, who are trying to study, trying to learn. We've all been there. We've all gone to high school. And many of us have gone to college, and we know what it's like. Uh, so we want to help people. And then you know, lay it on there. I've also gone to your alma mater. Wow. It's even, you know, so we're, the social engineer is manipulating that person, knowing what buttons to push to get them to do something for you. So once again, it's a great ploy to gain additional information regarding the, the target company. So let's go on to uh, phase three, which I think is most interesting phase because we've been collect up to now we've been collecting information, passive information via what's online, and then active information, maybe contacting employees where we may have a one-on-one -on -one contact with them, whether in person or whether it's been via telephone calls, impersonating a fellow employee, uh, or, may or maybe even you know emails. Now we're looking at uh, more active and uh, actually walking in 
potentially walking into the offices, office spaces to conduct an attack of that company, uh, what we call a direct intrusion into that company. When you walk into a company, most, most of the times you're walking into the company and there's going to be a gatekeeper, okay? It could be a guard, but most, most likely it's going to be a receptionist that's, who's going to be there. And they have a lot of different responsibilities. They have to answer queries. They have to answer the telephone. People are coming in. They also have to, to sort of control who comes in and out of those premises. So it's a, it's a lot of different responsibility. Receptionists are great targets, for a social engineer because they have a lot of power within the company as far as controlling access. Typically also, they have the least amount of time in that company, so they might not know as much about that company as a lot of employees who have been there longer when it comes to how to protect information in that company. And a lot of them are probably earning less money than people that have been with the company longer. So so, uh, the receptionist is usually the first face of that company, and one individual who typically is going to be targeted, who's going to be utilized by a social engineer to meet meet the objective of a direct intrusion. So remember I talked about developing a pretext. So if I'm a social engineer trying to make an, an intrusion into the company, I will look at what are some of the different ploys I might try to to conduct. Now, this is a little bit more complicated than spoofing a call because I can make a number of calls and, and if I burn out on one particular one, I can just hang up and I can call again, a different number, different persona, and I can do this many different times. If I'm walking into that company, I could probably only use one or two ploys to do this because if someone sees me and recognizes me as coming in before, that's going to make it more difficult. So I got to be very well prepared when I walk in. Who who could I impersonate? I could pose as a technician who's called in to be making a repair. You you know, we have technicians coming in and out every day. It could be doing an upgrade on a system, installing new systems that are maybe on on, uh, new cubicles in the offices or, or doing other upgrades or just doing a repair. So what's going to be important is walking in with confidence, looking like you actually belong there, dressing the part. That's very important. We talk about you need to dress for the part. If you're going to be a computer technician, dress as one. Maybe have a little toolkit, have a, have a clipboard. If you're going to come in making a delivery, you could be making a delivery for pizza. Once again, that's why it's important. We say, what are the, the establishments in the vicinity of the area? Is there a food delivery company, a pizza place, a Chinese restaurant that's making deliveries? How easy would it be just go ahead and even have those T-shirts that those employees use, have them made? You can get online and you look for, look for companies that do printing, look for companies that do uh, uniforms or T-shirts, and you can just have those T-shirts designed to look exactly like the ones that are being used by those establishments. They walk in with a, a pizza and say they need to, need to deliver it to, to, and they can even mention, you know, I need to deliver it to someone in the, whatever department on the third floor. Yeah, just go ahead. Uh, I, I know where exactly it is. And so you gain, you gain entry. Maybe you're, you come in as a, uh, making a delivery of flowers. Oh, how beautiful. Who's sending these flowers? Ah. And, and they can go in and make that delivery. All right. Or maybe they're uh, making uh, another type of delivery, uh, UPS or FedEx. Okay. Every day, UPS and FedEx is making deliveries. Very, very common. How easy or how difficult is it to get a UPS or FedEx 
uniform. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about that because not too long ago I saw one uh, at a Goodwill store. I saw a FedEx Polo, and I thought to myself the same thing. Anybody could just pick this thing up, and all of a sudden they're a FedEx employee. Absolutely. I mean, just getting online, uh, not to give ideas for people that want to do this, but uh, you can get online and you can find uniforms for, for a lot of different companies, uh, people that have worked there for a while, and maybe all of a sudden they got fired or terminated or decided, and instead of giving their uniform back, uh, decided, oh, I'm going to put this online. I'm going to put it online on eBay. And so you can, you can find these things. They're very easy to obtain. So if you're walking in to an office, if a receptionist sees you walking in, you're wearing the FedEx uniform, you're carrying a package, and you say, hey, I got to deliver this to, to so-and-so person who actually works in that company, and you look confident, and the reception is very busy with a lot of things to just say, sure, go ahead, all right? You gain entry into that company. There's a, a few other, th- other ways that you might gain entry. Maybe looking at what are their, are their catering companies that have access to this office building on a regular basis? Is there a cafeteria? Is there a coffee shop? Is there a Starbucks? And if you're walking in as a potential employee, you might have direct access to a significant part of that building without anybody asking you anything, all right? So it's a matter of finding out what type of ploy I might have to gain access into there, dressing the part, acting the part, and you can gain that access. So what another type of uh, ploy might be uh, piggybacking. Let's say that you have a receptionist or a guard that's typically, they know who belongs there, who doesn't. They have badges on also. And if you just try to walk in off the street, you're most likely going to get stopped. Why are you here? Who do you need to meet with? And if you don't have an appointment that's been verified, they probably won't let you in. But if you, piggybacking is, is a means of walking into, walking through that reception area when a lot of other uh, actual employees are returning and walking in. Maybe they're coming back from the lunch hour or a smoke break, okay? And you're walking in along with them. So the guard or the receptionist seeing, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of employees. They might happen to see you, but they're not paying much attention to you. You're part of that group, and you just happen to walk through with the rest of the crowd, and you do not get stopped. That's what we refer to as, as piggybacking. Okay, so what could someone do after they make an intrusion into that company. There's a lot of different things. There's different tools that they can bring into that company to gain additional access for technical collection. Uh, Putting in a key logger, for example, onto one or more terminals where a key logger, for those of you who are not familiar with it, can pretty much pick up all the keystrokes that someone is making into that computer. And, and one of the first things that comes to my mind, when people come back and they, or at the beginning of the day, they're logging into the terminal, they're putting in their username, they're putting in their password. And that is one of the, the biggest advantages to a key logger, but they might also be typing in some other confidential information, but at a very minimum, the username and password on the system. They, they might be emplacing something as an audio device in a conference room of the company. A lot of people are going to have those confidential conversations in the conference rooms. Very easy to gain access to some of these uh, when you're walking in. Uh, if you look like you belong there or you're making a delivery, no one's going to stop you. You can, you can gain access to some of these areas and put something in, especially if you're, imp- you're, you're posing as an IT technician. You have access. Hey, I got to I gotta do an upgrade on your system here. I got to install something. And you're saying, okay, eh, fine. How long is it going to take? Oh, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Okay, I'll grab a coffee. I'll be back. So you're not even there to watch what this guy is doing. We're just so used to that. We trust that person that they're going to be handling whatever they need to handle. I'll come back later after, after he's done. Another great ploy once or, or someone can do as a social engineer as far as attacking the company once they gain access 
is actually uh, in placing down a number of CDs or, or these days thumb drives around the company that are marked with something that could be enticing for someone. How about confidential payroll? Ooh, yeah. Now, UK, you pick that up. It says confidential payroll, and you're thinking, oh, man, I should probably turn this in. But before I turn that in, let me just insert this and see what are people are making within the, in the company. I'm very curious. Yeah, let right? me see how I'm, how I'm stacking up against everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So now, I'm not going to, as a social engineer with this type of attack, I'm not going to put down just one thumb drive because it doesn't mean everybody's going to do that. But if I lay down six or seven of these around the company, it's very, very likely that someone's going to insert that thumb drive. That thumb drive is going to be loaded with malware, going to gain me, gain, help me gain access to the IT system there. And once I gain access there, I, my abilities are unlimited as far as what I can do there. So these are just a, a few of the ways that social engineer can attempt to utilize the trade to gain access to the company, to gain, to gain that information, to eventually launch, a, launch an attack. So my previous employment, uh, we were continually penetration tested. They were, that was an ongoing thing. And in management, we were aware of it, but we were obviously told not to tell anybody else. And we didn't know when it was coming. We just knew to be on guard for it. So some examples we got, you've already mentioned several of them. There was information we had to know about ourselves, which was what's on our website. One of the things that uh, the penetration testers used against us quite often was our, our vendor list. Who were we doing business with? You know, we we're partners with Dell. We we're partners with Amazon. So right there, someone has a little bit of information. They would get routed to IT, which meant they got past the receptionist. And they would always use the same ploy, even though we told the receptionist time and time again. Because one of the things we did after we got, if I got a call, was, all right, where did the breakdown happen? Let's go find, let's go educate somebody here. But we would get someone who call in saying, hey, I'm from Dell. You guys use Dell's. There's either an issue with the server or uh, there's a warranty issue. Or they would just do some little ploy. And then the call that I would get once he got routed to me was, hey, this is so-and-so from Dell. Uh, we just needed to review your servers over there because uh, we, you know, we, we're your trusted partner. Like, yeah, you're a trusted partner. So can you just go with me over what we have here? I need you to confirm exactly what what we have there at your location. Which told me immediately, you don't know what you, I have at my location because <laughs> I'm not going to confirm. And I would just say, thank you very much for your call. Have a great day. And I would hang up. And then I would go talk to the receptionist and say, we don't take calls like these. Anytime they do. In fact, I had... I was responsible for the phone system there, and I had developed what we called uh, the bucket extension. And the bucket extension was an extension that just took that person, gave them a canned message that said, don't ever call here again, and then blacklisted their phone number. Of course, with spoofing, it wasn't a big deal, but we had a lot of numbers in our blacklist after a while. The best one we ever had was a gentleman came in, dressed up as UPS, had a cart with him, everything else, came in, had, you know, said, hey, I got this delivered. And usually he said, I'm just going to set it here. It's a large box. He set the box there and asked the receptionist, do you mind if I use the bathroom? Hmm. She said, of course not. Go right ahead. Now, she is completely busy. He walks down the hall with his cart and another box in hand, <laughs> goes in, drops that box off in one office, goes into another office, picks up a laptop, <laughs> walks out, goes down the elevator, have a great day. You too, sir. So we had... Two boxes left. One would there's nothing in the boxes. I'll give that away. But they both had pieces of paper. What could this box could have contained was in the box was in that box. 
you know, this box could have contained a listening device. This box could have contained, could have contained an explosive. Who knows? Worst part about that whole thing is the guy was not dressed as a UPS driver. <laughs> he had on a Halloween costume that was a UPS lookalike costume. But we were so busy and so used to UPS coming in all the time that that one completely got us. So that was, it was one of those things that you always constantly have to be on guard about. Uh, one of the best ones, and I thankfully this was fantastic, and I didn't fall for it. After I left my employment there, and I left on very good terms, I received a a, a phone call from a gentleman claiming to be part of the um, DSS, who's a, an organization that tests for uh, your security clearances and everything else. And we were a secure facility, and he claimed he was from the DSS and needed to do an exit interview with me. And I thought at first, well, that makes sense because you've interviewed me before. So so I said, sure, let me check my calendar. And as soon as I did that, I had a little thought in the back of my head that went, wait a minute. Why would they? Are you, were, you, were you leaving? I had already left. Oh, okay. I was, this, was, this was post-employment with them. Oh, okay. And I thought, wait a minute. Every other time that I've done an interview with these guys, I've been on the clock. Now I'm off the clock. I'm not employed with these people anymore. So I texted my former, former CEO and I said, hey, what's going on? He's like, nope, not us. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So we didn't do the interview. That was as close as, as I had ever gotten uh, for somebody. Now, employees, I always heard employees all the time, they get a, you've already nailed it. It's a new IT guy. They get a hold of their, that extension and they start asking and that person's going to give them all the information in the world because they want to prove how smart they are. And you just sit there and listen to him and go, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about how SRM conducts their own little penetration testings. Okay, Andy. Strategic risk management, when we work with clients, uh, the first part of any assistance we can provide to them, instead of going out and doing a penetration test, we could do that and set that as a baseline. But it, it, what usually is end up being better is the educational phase first. The social engineering awareness, develop, helping them develop, develop a social engineering awareness campaign. And what this really comes down to for the client to gain success, to help protect themselves, they have to understand what are the different types of ploys that a social engineer may utilize. Just as some of the things that I'm mentioning, we would go into it in much greater detail. But they need to, first of all, understand the process that a social engineer will use, why they use it, why is it effective, what different types of ploys they might use. And these constantly evolve. There's always new ones that are, that are developed and utilized with success. And once maybe individuals learn about the, the ploys that are successful and are a little bit more aware on guard against them, they will develop new ones. So that's the first phase, developing that awareness by an individual. And, and for them also to understand within their company, what is information that really should be protected? That might start at even looking at what is a company itself putting out there on the World Wide Web. What are they putting out there on their particular company website? What are they putting out there on Facebook, on LinkedIn? Is some of that information too much information? You know, there is a little bit of risk uh, versus gain. You might say, well, the more information that the public has about the company, the better it is. But you also, the more information that you're putting out there, the more 
vulnerable you are, not just the company, but then the individuals. You as an employee of that company, the more information you put out there, uh, you might start talking about what the different things you're doing at the office, things that, that maybe your projects you're working on or things that are frustrating you at the office that you might be uh, putting out there, and that could be very da- potentially damaging. So that's why some companies will even monitor, you know, they'll monitor what are, what is being out there on the web, they'll do search, really advanced searches about what is out there regarding company, the company as well as their employees. So not only to protect yourself as an individual, think you need to think about what can I do to protect my company in the first place is going to be what am I putting out there that maybe I shouldn't be putting out there. Okay, so that type of awareness about the, the information that's so readily accessible by a social engineer. Then after that, if someone is contacting me, my, remember we're looking at social engineer is making a direct interaction with somebody, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's email, whether it is a phone call, they're requesting you to do something. You need to look at two aspects of this. First of all, what they are requesting me to do, does that make sense? Is it something that is something that's very ordinary or is it out of an ordinary request that, whoa, that's unusual? And then second of all, who is the person making that request? Don't assume they are who they say they are unless you personally know them. It's even very easy for someone to spoof and get someone's email account and send you an email from that particular account. And you think, well, yeah, I know John Smith. He's my friend. But you could still, especially if it's an ordinary request, you can verify it. Can I send John Smith an email? Can I send him a text? You know, this is like authenticating that request from that individual, just to verify, can I call him? What's more important, especially when there has been these uh, men in the middle attacks where they will get somebody from the payroll or the uh, from payments to make a big payment, make a big wire transfer because they thought this request came in from their boss it, because that, that email was hijacked from the boss and it looks like it's coming in from the boss, make this payment immediately. But there's ways to verify it. So Understanding what different types of ploys a social engineer will use so that raising that awareness and the importance of verifying. I always use that term, verify. It doesn't take much time to verify and it can save you thousands, if not millions of dollars for a company just by, by, by confirming that. So as I mentioned, first phase would be that whole awareness, training the employees about what to look for. Then letting some time go by and actually conducting the penetration testing, mimicking some of the type of ploys that social engineers are using and seeing how the employees are responding. Are they picking up on that? First of all, if they, if they sense that something is a, a possible ploy, if it's not legitimate, they should try to verify it. And once they've determined that it is not a, a legitimate request, the second part is, it's not just sit on that, not going with the scam is great, but they need to also report it back. Report it back to their security. So that's important. Most companies will say that they have a reporting procedure in place, but that needs to be 
continuously updated and make it user friendly and and make sure that the employees understand why it's important for them to report back what they believe is a potential security issue, a, a potential attack, because there might be little bits and pieces of an attack that's going around the company. And maybe just that one doesn't seem significant to you. But if it goes back to the security officer, they're seeing, whoa, there is a pattern here. There's been a couple of different things that have happened here over the last 24 hours. It looks like we're under attack. So that's why don't, not taking action uh, to the social engineer's request, but also reporting it back to security is going to be very important. So it's going to be important for the penetration test to see what the actual results are. People you know, shutting them down, they're not biting, or are some of them biting? And if they're biting, why? Try to figure out why are they, are they biting. But, and I, one thing I really want to emphasize here, the purpose is not to chastise employees who maybe took the bait, all right? It's just to try to figure out why, why was this attempt successful, trying to re-educate employees, maybe giving that out as an example. These are the different things we did. These things weren't acted upon. These other things were, but maybe not, not to chastise, not to even name the employee, not to even tell the, the employer the name of the employee. We should be, the, what's more successful is offering incentives, kind of like a competition. They know that at some point there are going to be some ploys that are going to be utilized during a penetration test by our company or by another company offering the same services. But there may also be some other ones that are not part of ours that are legitimate social engineering attacks. But if, if uh, during the, the testing phase of our penetration test, if we're able to show that there is a number of employees have, had, have undergone these different types of attacks and have taken the right course, there should be some sort of incentive in place to reward them. So we want to incentivize them, reward them versus punish them because that way they're gonna even get excited. They're gonna be always looking at every time something comes in, whoa, is this, is this maybe a ploy? Is this, can I, you know, it's kind of a, it can become sort of a game in a good sense. So that's how it should be. And then we give the results back to the client. We keep the client informed. And everything that we do during a pen test anyway is going to be closely coordinated with a couple, only a handful of people, two or three people in the company that know what we're going to do. And that is clearly outlined in advance because there's certain legal obligations as well. We don't want to do anything that could create a big problem for the company, for them and or their clients. So it's carefully choreographed what we're going to do. They just don't know exactly when or where we're going to do it, but it's pre-approved. We go back to the client and we give them the results. We get, and we give them the feedback. And then they'll say, okay, what's the next phase here? We want to go back and provide from time to time updated training to the employees where we can even go back, refresh what they've already learned in the past, and, and then talk about some of the more recent employees that we've used and, and these are the results and also talk about ongoing new types of employees that social engineers are using. So typically this is not just a one-time activity. This is an ongoing process that at a minimum you should be looking at conducting at least at least annually, if not even semi-annually. And we find that with the clients who undertake this sort of activity, it really helps increase the awareness. It, it significantly reduces the amount of successful social engineering attacks against them. So if anyone is actually interested in, in this or discussing it more, please feel free to, to contact me. Uh, my number is 
475-0154 strategic risk management. And even though we're located here in Orlando, we offer services globally. So don't, don't hesitate if you want more information or if you're interested in us actually conducting a, a well, even if it's just a presentation, uh, or providing information about social engineering awareness, uh, we'd be more than happy to discuss that. And your website is a strategyforrisk.com, correct? That is correct, Andy. Perfect. So, yeah, go check out the services there and give Peter a call because he can definitely help your business out. Going to scale it down here a little bit, Peter, and talk a little bit about Craigslist. We've been talking about uh, this huge penetration testing, which is awesome information. We scale it down a little bit because the same thing can happen uh, on Craigslist, just at a different level. And we're talking about two types of scams you can do on Craigslist. And the first one of these is we've kind of hinted at it before and talked about it a little bit, but it's the job offer scam. There are countless jobs and gigs that are offered on Craigslist all across the nation. And these are usually enticing jobs. Work from home. It's good pay. And it's jobs that people go, well, you know what? I could do this in, in part-time. It's not going to take anything out of my schedule. So I can go ahead and do this type of job and make some extra money. Whether it's a work from home, a courier service where there's one going on right now that it supposedly, even though right now Amazon is hiring courier services to make the last mile delivery, there are scams about that same thing. Temp labor gigs where you are supposed to go clean somebody's yard or pick up and move some boxes. There are uh, content production and writing gigs, coding and programming, artwork, design. There's a ton of these gigs and jobs that are offered. They're all complete scams. Now, some red flags we can look for in all of these because they're all going to have them, the, the scam jobs anyhow. Number one, no real company is going to ask a potential employee or a candidate for exacting work samples. Now, I'm sure they're going to ask for work samples. They want to see the quality of your work. If you are a writer, they're not going to come out and say, hey, I need you to provide me a three to 500 word uh, report based on Bitcoin that uses the following keywords. What you're doing there is their work for free. You'll never get paid for that. They'll tell you, nah, it didn't quite hit the mark. And you've just given them a 500-word article that is keyword-rich because you're trying to impress them. You've done their job. Likewise, I've seen ones that will say applicants must present three print-ready logos in PSD format. So you, well, you want a job as the artist and you, you want to show off your Photoshop skills. So you create this, this document or this logo, send it in. That's not really what we were looking for. Meanwhile, they just got their logo designed for free. Huge one. And this one, sadly, it, it happens more often than not. No real company is ever going to charge you money up front for anything, especially like a work visa, a permit, a deposit, anything like this. No, it's just not going to happen. They'll tell you, hey, you know what? Spend the money now. We're going to reimburse it on your first paycheck. You don't even have a job offer yet. And you're going to spend money. No, don't do it. They'll tell you, hey, there's a, this particular job is in Greenland or Iceland or some foreign country that you're not really you know, familiar with. And they'll say, this is just part of our legal process here. You have to uh, file for these documents. We have to pay for this. Uh, we need you to do this, and we will reimburse you uh, fully for this, and we'll actually give you some extra money. Uh, but we have to have all these documents need to be done. It's just a government thing that we do here in Iceland. And you say, well, okay, I'm not familiar with Iceland, so I guess I guess we'll pay that money up. 
And a real big one is anytime you see the word opportunity, it just run for the hills at that point. Mm-hmm. Run for the hills. Also, no company, and this one we've talked about, none of them will use a high-pressure sales tactic in an interview process. Caveat to that, there are some government positions that do use a high-pressure tactic, but that's not what we're talking. We're talking Craigslist right now. You go to Craigslist, you see something for a job opportunity, you might be interested in it, it looks like something you're interested in, and you respond, and now they want to immediately set a date for an interview. They want you down there today because the positions are filling fast, and they're, they need to make an offer today. No. Uh, there is a company here in Orlando that does that time and time again, and all they do is change the name of their company. And when people realize what it is, they burn the name of the company and they set it up again. And it's always the same high pressure. We need you in here this afternoon. In fact, they haven't changed offices in a year. It's just changed the name of the company. It's like you're in the same place. They have to have you in there that afternoon. You come in and everything is just, it looks like it's a great place, except there aren't any computers around except for the receptionist. She's the only one with a computer, which was surprising to me. The quote unquote CEO had no computer in his office and had very little furniture in his office. And it wasn't good quality. Big red flag for me. However, uh, the high pressure, it was, I need you to come in for an interview today. In the interview process, it was, do you think this is a job that you would take? Can we hire you? Can we put you to work right now? Can you come back tomorrow for a follow-up? I was like, gee whiz, guys, no. <laughs> so, uh, and then they just as soon as people realize what little scam they're running there, which is um, they're selling government programs where they, they go stand you up front of Walmart and you have to fill a quota of government phones and government everything else that you're giving to uh, low-income people. And if you don't fill that quota, you're out. So a lot of work for a little payoff. A lot of times, uh, when they'll prey upon a recently graduated students, right at the university, who a lot of them don't have jobs upon graduation, and so they're they're hungry. They're looking at different opportunities, and uh, they, all of a sudden, if they're contacted and the interview is like, "Come down right now," it's like, "Wow!" They get kind of excited, and they can walk into it quite blindly. Yeah, and what they'll do a lot of these, especially these guys that I'm talking about here in Orlando, and we'll name names next week. Um, they uh, they tell you it's a marketing position. This is a marketing position. And you get down there and you go, this is n- has nothing to do with marketing <laughs> at all. And if you don't know that, if you're, like you said, a recent grad and you, you've got your marketing degree and here's this marketing job, you're like, yes, I want to go do this. It's in my field. And you get down there and you don't really know what your field is. They can really uh, just pull the wool over your eyes. And before you know it, you've just wasted a week, two weeks of your life with no payout. And my daughter has gone through that uh, recently because she did graduate with a marketing degree and there was a, she's gone to a lot of these things that they're, they sound to be marketing, but when they get there, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just really a phony, it's a sales job, basically. They want to get you in there to do this. Uh, and so I just told her, I said, don't go, even go there. There's a lot of different, gave her some questions to specifically to ask to find out more information and because you, you can easily waste that time. Uh, days you can waste days of uh, of of your time and going down to these things because there's so many of them. No real company is going to ask you to send money to a lawyer, or a travel agent, or an embassy official, or anything else. They're also most, and I'll say this one is a caveat. Do your research on this one, but this is a most won't use a publicly available email address like Gmail. Some companies do. That's my little caveat there. Some companies use the gmail.com, so be a little wary on that one. But not so much with like other free and available email addresses. They're probably not going to use them like your Yahoo's or your Hotmail's. Also be aware that 
domains such as diplomats.com, counselor.com, consultant, lawyer, all of these are just URLs that people can rent email addresses from. I can go get a lawyer.com email address and I can say, I am Andy at lawyer.com. And I am paying them a monthly fee to have that email address. There is very little checking that goes on. So if I just say, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, we need to get all this secured. You'll be getting an email from my lawyer. They'll need you to pay this uh, this in a, in a money, gram, or Western Union deposit. Uh, we'll take care of that, and then we'll get you the job offer secured. And then I send an email from my lawyer.com address to the person, and now they're they're gone. They're a victim of whatever scam is going on. So make sure you do your due diligence at whatever company that you are looking to work with and be aware that there are a ton of job scams on Craigslist. Uh, the old adage that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, holds very, very true on Craigslist. Remember, the biggest thing on there is if you're asked to do any work for free or you're asked to give any money, it's that's your big red flags, your two major ones. Sample work is okay. Here's my portfolio. Send it to them. They're more than welcome to have your portfolio. That's what it's there for. But if they ask for any source material or any work work, then don't do it. Now, some programming jobs will have you go to a place and code a little routine. It's a basic routine they're asking you to do, a math function or a, a password hash function, something very routine and very simple. If they're asking you to do something that is long and complex and you think this is going to take me more than a couple hours, that's, again, somebody trying to get you to do their work for them. And just be very aware of those. If you think that something is a scam, it probably is. But if you're not too sure, send it over to us. Send us an email over at hello at metascam.com, and we will be glad to look at that for you. Give you another one here, Peter. This one is something I recently ran across with a uh, associate of mine who told me this was happening, and uh, he is stuck in it right now, and it's not a good place to be. It happened to occur on Craigslist, so sorry to throw them underneath the bus again on this one. <laughs> However, the target that this con is looking for is anybody looking for a job. And now the target or the con is going to be what is happening, uh, this person needing this information or wanting this information. So here's basically what happens. A buddy's going through Craigslist, sees a job offer for a real estate agent for a very reputable real estate agent agency company here in town. He's like, wow, I really want to work with these people. I've wanted to work for these guys for years. He actually visited their website and saw that they have a job opening available. He's like, this is fantastic. Instead of going now through the website, which is what he messed up on, he went back to the Craigslist ad. He replied with that Craigslist ad, got an email immediately back and said, awesome, I've looked over your resume, everything looks really good, do me a favor, call me right now. And the guy's like, oh, this is fantastic. This is dream job with this huge company. I am so going to call them. He calls the phone number, he hears a beep, and he hears a busy signal. He's like, wow, something's wrong with the phone. Calls it again, calls it again, nothing but busy, beep and a busy signal, beep and a busy signal. Emails the guy back, hey, I need some more information. We just checked out your resume, it's fantastic, I need you to do me a favor, call me real quick. He's like, what, what, what's going on? Realized he had hit an autoresponder. And all it's doing is saying the same thing. Hey, we got your resume, we love it, we need you to call us real quick. Now, what's happening in the background here is the con has put together a nice ad for a, a real estate agency in this case, but it could be any company in town. 
this guy is taking the time to make sure that that particular company actually has a job opening in case someone does a little bit of homework on this. However, it's an autoresponder setup that just says, call me at this following number as soon as you can. When the person calls that number, the computer system on the other end picks up the phone, registers that as an active phone number for a person who's interested in real estate. Now, that information is valuable to marketers and selling in not-so-reputable agencies. If I came to you and I said, hey, I can go gather you 500, 1,000, doesn't matter what the number is, people who are interested in real estate, would that be of value to you? I can get you their, their information, first name, last name, email, and uh, phone number. And you go, wow, that is, yes, that is great information. I will pay you X amount of dollars for it. Run the scam. When you reply to my email, I have an email address for you. I have your resume. I have all the information about you. And now you've called a phone number, and now I have a verified phone number for you. And that information now becomes very valuable for me to market on the not-so-happy market of people who wanting uh, wanting information. So now what's guys going on with him is <laughs> every day he's getting robocalls. Because that information has been sold over and over and over again. And of course, he's on the do not call list, but really, who pays attention to that? He just gets calls and calls and calls. It's just happening three, four, five calls a day. Nothing but either hangups or robocalls. And what happens with those robocalls is that many times they're going to be using a service like Spoof, right? They're going to be spoof, spoofing that telephone number. They're going to try to change the area code uh, of that uh, number so that most likely at some point you're gonna you're you're not gonna say who is that? It could be something important. I got my family that lives in that area, or that's an area where, I, where my office is. So I know when I get those calls, they're coming in from all different parts of of the country, and usually I don't answer any of them because I figure if it's important, they're gonna leave a message. But what sometimes gets confusing if they do call from where my family uh, is originally from, or if it's here a local call four zero seven. I'm thinking, well, I don't know everybody that has a 407, but there, it might be something related to, to our business, so I, can, I might answer it. But otherwise, they'll, they'll use that service. They'll be calling in from all different parts of the world. So, uh, and it's legal. It's perfectly legal for them to do that for now. So uh, just beware. Another little more nefarious thing that they, they can do with that information is if I call your house at 8.15 in the morning and nobody answers, and then I call your house at, let's say, 4.45 at night, and somebody answers. And I call your house again at 8, and somebody answers. And then I call your house the next day at 11, and nobody answers. And maybe I call the next day at 3, and nobody answers. And I call again at 4.45, and somebody answers. Now I have a pattern. I know when you're home and when you're not home. That information for the more nefarious people becomes valuable. So how do you protect yourself? One of the things that I do, and, and Peter, I'm not ashamed to say this because this is what you have in me. You don't have my real cell phone number. You have my Google Voice number. How do you know? I might have it. You probably do now. <laughs> By now, you probably do. <laughs> but I never give out my cell phone number as the first thing. I've never done this for years. I'll give out a Google Voice number as my first offering. Not that I don't trust you, but I don't know you. But I want to talk with you. And so here's my Google Voice number. So... That's your first line. You can also use what's called Burner App. You can go to BurnerApp.com and you can get a temporary phone number. 
So I can give somebody a temporary phone number. Burner app allow me to have that phone number for X amount of hours or days, or I can continue to use it how long I want. I give that phone number. They call that phone number. It goes through routes through Burner app, or I call them through Burner app. They never get my home phone number. So that is a great level of protection there. Andy, that's a good point. And for those individuals who might think about using Craigslist or something like that to post, uh, they wanna, you actually want to sell something legitimate. You want to sell something, and you're putting a phone number there for someone to contact you. Having using a a burner number is so much better because once you've sold the product, you don't have to worry about anybody else that that got your number uh, via a site like Craigslist or whatever that might later on try to exploit that or or or, or call you. So the burner apps are useful. Yeah, Skype also offers a number that you can get. You can get your Skype number and that'll allow people to call you or you call through Skype to regular landlines. And once you're done with that number, you can just tell them, hey, I don't want that number anymore, and they'll recycle it out. And you can get another one. You can, I want another number. You can just continue to do this time and time again. Also, don't do anything that you're uncomfortable with, ever. If you're in a situation where you feel stressed or, or actually forced to do something, don't. Listen to your intuition. Usually it's pretty good. So don't call someone immediately. Hey, I need you to call me right away. Don't do that immediately. Give it some time. Give it some time to cool off. You can also do a little bit of due diligence. Hey, I need you to call me at this number. You've just gotten information. You got a number. Grab that number, throw it into Google. If it's a scam number, it's going to pop up. Everybody else or a lot of people who have might have been scammed by that number are going to report it as a scam number. There are also services that you can get for your phones that are social that will report numbers of incoming uh, phone numbers as scams, ones that other people report like, hey, that was a scam call, that was a telemarketer. Something had come in and other people will report it. So those social scanning services typically work. Not always. I have a really good friend of mine, and I was using a particular social scanning uh, caller ID app, and it reports him as a scammer. And he's not. At all. And I'm like, why is it? And we wouldn't even take his call. He's like, I've been calling you all day. And, and I finally open up the app and I'm like, man, you called me like eight times today. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Alicia's a scammer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's not. Uh, it just has the wrong number there for him for whatever reason. He Maybe he is a scammer and I just don't know it. You may, you know? <laughs> but no, I don't believe that he is. But be aware that those are out there. You can use those to protect yourself as well. But the biggest thing in there is just listen to your intuition. Don't make rash judgments. If you ever feel pressured into doing something, don't do it. Take the time to think about it. And remember, you aren't alone out there. You want to do your best to educate yourself against possible scams. You want to talk to your friends and neighbors about them. And together, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is hello at metascam.com, and we are here to help. Until next time, this has been Andy and Peter for metascam.com. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Metascam Show or email us at hello at metascam.com. Visit www.metascam.com for show information, archives, and more. <laughs>